The scripture for today's reading comes from Matthew 15, 29 to 39. <clears throat> Moving on from there, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. He went up on a mountain and sat there, and large crowds came to him, including the lame, the blind, the crippled, those unable to speak, and many others. They put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd was amazed when they saw those unable to speak talking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they gave glory to the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, otherwise they might collapse on the way. The disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in this desolate place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you need? Jesus asked them. Seven, they said, and a few small fish. After commanding the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied. They collected the leftover pieces, seven large baskets full. Now there were 4,000 men who had eaten, besides women and children. After dismissing the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Macedon. This is the word of the Lord. As I mentioned before, the bonus gift for this day is that there is, for those of you here uh, with us, you can grab the sermon outline. There's a really exciting picture in there uh, that I'll be referring to in a little bit, uh, but if you want to follow along with the outline, you can grab that using the same link and the same process to get the digital bulletin. So this spring, this summer, we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 13 through 20. All right, all right, I'm going to switch. Okay, we'll go here. This spring and summer, we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 13 through 20. It's kind of the middle section of the Gospel. And in this section, two things are happening. First, Jesus starts to more clearly and directly reveal who he is and why it is that he's come. And as he does this, a second thing happens, that more and more we see how the crowds his own disciples, his opponents, the religious leaders, the Bible scholars of his time, all interpret him and see him not as he is, not as he is revealing himself to be, but instead through the filters of their own expectations, through the filter of their own agendas and their own ideologies. It happened then. And it continues to happen today. We all filter out the parts of Jesus that we don't want to see and emphasize the parts that we like, the parts that we want to use for our own purpose. So the goal for this series as we go through this, this spring, is that we would put aside all our filters in order to see Jesus as he is that our prayer would be the same prayer that's at the very end of this section. When Jesus approaches two blind beggars, they say to him, Lord, we want to see. 
My prayer is that that would be our prayer as a church in this season. So today's message, if you were able to follow along with that uh, reading, the feeding of the 4,000, you might have thought if you were with us a couple weeks ago, didn't we already cover this? I've already heard this story. It sounds very familiar. Well, that was the feeding of the 5,000. This is the feeding of the 4,000. Why are there two very similar stories just separated by one chapter in the gospel? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. There's three points that I have as I want to walk through this story and why in the world we have such a similar account. The feeding of the 5,000 and then the feeding of the 4,000. First, we're going to talk about the purpose of repeating. Same miracle, so many similarities. Then we're going to look at the problem. There's a problem that we all have. It's the problem of forgetting. And then thirdly, we're going to talk about the power of remembering. So first, the purpose of, of repeating. When we read this story... It's probably easy for us to just read it, skim it, and move on. You're like, okay, I've already kind of read a story like this. So moving on, let's just move through that to the next one. It feels like we just read it. Why do we need a story that's so similar, that's almost identical to another one, just a chapter earlier? Just one chapter previous, we looked at this in chapter 14, Jesus fed 5,000 plus people in the wilderness. And now we read about Jesus feeding 4,000 plus people in the wilderness. And so that's the question we all have, right? Why did this happen twice? Why do we need to know that it happened twice? Both the gospel of Mark and in the gospel of Matthew, we see that this story is repeated. So first... Let's look at it. Pull up the passage. Pull out your Bibles so we can look at this. What are the similarities here? What are the differences? Last week, we saw how Jesus went outside the region of the boundaries of Israel. He went into Tyre and Sidon. He spoke to a Canaanite woman. Tyre, Sidon, the Canaanites, these were the traditional enemies of Israel, far outside the boundaries of where we'd expect God to act where we would expect God to be. So in verse 29, we see he left that region. He moved along the Sea of Galilee. And Mark tells us as he went into the region of Decapolis that he was on the Gentile side of the sea, the non-Jewish side. And this is an important difference between the two feedings, the setting and the crowd. This was a non-Jewish crowd, probably a mixed crowd in non-Jewish territory. Also, we see, that's kind of obvious, but there's a different amount of people. First is 5,000. This is 4,000. There's a different amount of food to start with. With the 5,000, there were five loaves and two fish. Here, a little bit different, seven loaves and a few small fish. There's a different amount of leftovers. So we see there are large baskets that are collected after the feeding of the 4,000. Interestingly enough, a little detail here, the word used is not the typical word used for basket that the Jews used to collect and to hold and store the kosher food. This was the word used for food that was 
used to store and, and to uh, serve uh, food in the Gentile world. So these are clearly different stories. They're not the same thing. It's not just a, a, a facsimile copy of the same story. But what's more obvious is there are many similarities even than their differences. Look at verse 32. Like in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus doesn't make it a showy miracle, a display of power or proof. He calls the disciples close to him, almost as if this miracle is meant to be private between him and them. The crowds barely even mention their reaction is not even told to us. It seems like as it was before, this is more for the disciples than it is for the crowds. Jesus also seems to be encouraging the disciples to make the connection from the previous situation to this one. In the feeding of the 5,000, in chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus was approached by the disciples. They said, Jesus, this place is deserted. We're in like a wilderness area, and it's late, so send the crowds away. Send them away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And here in chapter 15, verse 32, Jesus says, I don't want to send the crowds away. He's using the same exact words that the disciples used. I don't want them to be sent away hungry. They might collapse on the way. So same word Jesus is using. It's like hint, hint, very loud hint. Make the connection. Then there is a similarity of the very meager resources, five loaves, two fish, seven loaves, and a few small fish. In both stories, Jesus calls attention to what they have, their natural and human resources. In the feeding of the 5,000, he says, you, give them something to eat. Here in the feeding of the four, he says, how many loaves do you have? In both stories, Jesus doesn't directly feed the crowd, right? He could have. We've seen him do other miracles that show his power over creation, but instead he feeds the crowds through his disciples both times. And in both stories, they're leftovers. There's more than enough for everyone. And as in the feeding of the 5,000, we're told why. Why Jesus feeds the people. It's his compassion for human need. In verse 32, he says, I have compassion. Here's the point of going through all those similarities. Though there are differences in these two stories, the emphasis is not on the differences. The emphasis is on what is repeated, the similarities. That it is a kind of repeat story. So the question is then, what is the purpose of repeating. Now, here's where you might want to have your, um, your, your sermon slides ready. If you have those folks at home, you'll be seeing this in a second. I'm going to make sure um, on my phone that they're all ready to go. One second. Okay. Why would we have a repeat story here with so many similarities? Well, let me ask you this, parents. 
Parents, have you ever had to repeat anything to your children? Has that ever happened for you? Maybe like, hey, close the door. Why is the door still open? Pick up your clothes off the floor. Or you can fill in the blank. Hey, kids, have you ever had to repeat anything to your parents? We're not going to let our parents off the hook, are we? Like, I, I don't like cauliflower. Why do you keep serving it? Or something like that. What about spouses to one another? Have you ever had to repeat something to your spouse and thought, why do I have to say this again? I've already said this twice. Friends, teachers, have you ever had to repeat anything to your students? Like, how come your name is not written on the paper? Coaches, athletes. Coaches, have you ever had to repeat anything in practice? Our kids, uh, three of our kids are playing baseball right now. And if you're at a baseball practice, you'll hear over and over again, get your glove down. Get your glove down. I've heard it thousands and thousands of times, and I've said it myself. Or keep your eye on the ball. In basketball, you might hear coaches shout out over and over again, box out, box out. Now why? Parents, teachers, coaches, why are these things repeated over and over again? Well, the reason is we repeat things that are important that we want to become almost second nature to the person that we're saying it to. For coaches in, in athletics, we want it to be a part of muscle memory, right? That you don't even have to think about it, so we're going to repeat it and drill it into you until it gets into your bones and your muscles. That's why we repeat. We repeat because something is so important to us and we think for other people that we want it to be second nature to them. And because people don't seem to get it the first time. We don't get it the first time. When we repeat and we repeat, we think, why do people have such an incredible capacity to forget what we think is important? Now, here's the point that I want to make. In Scripture, we see things repeated a lot. What is the purpose of repetition in Scripture? It is this. There are some things so important to God that He wants these things to get into our spiritual muscle memory, like they are second nature to us. We have an incredible capacity, though, to forget what God says is so important and so vital, so he repeats it for us. That's the purpose of repeating. And I think it's the major reason why this story happened twice and is given to us twice. The purpose of repeating is because there's a problem. It's the problem of forgetting. What we would expect, right, to happen here in this story, right after the feeding of the 5,000 would be something like this. Jesus calls the disciples close. There's crowds everywhere. They've been with him three days, and he says, guys, I have compassion on the crowds. They've been here for three days. I don't want to send them away. And what we would expect is the disciples say, oh, hey, guys, remember? A little while ago when we didn't have barely any food and people were hungry and there were like thousands of people and we were in a desert. Do you remember what happened like a couple days ago, a couple weeks ago? Oh, yeah. 
well, maybe Jesus can feed this crowd like he did the last one, even though we have meager and insufficient resources. And then they all go, yeah, let's ask him to do that. But that's not what happens at all. Instead, verse 33, they say, where could we get enough bread in this desolate place to feed such a crowd? And we say, seriously? How can they forget? That was just a chapter before. They seem so dull and dense and completely clueless. Now, here, I want to do something. I don't often do this, but I'm going to quote something written like 500 years ago. So stay with me as I quote it, because I think this commentator captures the heart of what's going on here. He gets to the root of the problem. So it's, it's John Calvin, and he's kind of harsh. So if you feel offended by it, he said it, not me, and we can all get mad at him. So here's what he said about this. Here the disciples manifest excessive stupidity. Okay, that's where he's harsh. In not remembering. At least that earlier proof of the power and grace of Christ, which they might have applied to the case at hand, right? They just, they didn't apply it. Very similar. But they didn't remember as if they had never seen anything of the same sort. They forget to apply to him for help. And here's where he makes it personal. There is not a day on which a similar indifference does not steal upon us. And we ought to be the more careful not to allow our minds to be drawn away from the contemplation of divine benefits that the experience of the past may lead us to expect for the future the same assistance which God has already on one or more occasions bestowed upon us. I know it's old school language, but Calvin here is saying about this text, just like they forget, just like they're in a situation where they should have been able to say, oh, I know what God has done in this situation before. Let's apply that now. Instead, they've totally forgotten. The problem was not stupidity, I don't think at all, or intelligence. The problem was forgetfulness. They were acting like they had never seen anything of the sort. All right, here's the picture. You can pull out that picture now. We'll put that picture up online. This is an illustration that was helpful to me as I was thinking about this. Uh, do you know those memory games? And kids, you might be, you know, you might have played these memory games where these little tiles, those little pictures, and you turn them all over, you don't see any of the pictures, and you flip one at a time, right? And the idea is to find the matching ones. So they're all mixed up. You flip the tile, and like, oh, it's a dog. And you flip it over, oh, it's a son. And then a few turns later, you're like, oh, I found the other son. Like, wait, where is that? Where is that? <laughs> where is that son? And I forgot. I can't figure out where it was until you get all the matches. To my church family, Trinity, to my Christian friends, this is the same thing that happens to us spiritually in our relationship with God. God does something in our life. He teaches us something. He carries us through something. He provides for us in some way. He comforts us. He strengthens us. He flips over a tile, right? And we see something of his love, his faithfulness, and his goodness, and his grace. And it's a significant moment in our lives. And then some time passes, 
Maybe even just a little bit of time passes. We go on with life and we forget and something similar happens in our life and we're filled with fear or anxiety or despair. And it's like he never flipped over that tile in the first place. We forget. It's as if we've never seen anything of the sort. We can't see it. We forget where it is. My Christian friends, does this happen to you? It happens to me a lot, more than I wish it did. Jesus had just flipped over a major tile, who he was in the feeding of the 5,000. He said, this is who I am. And just a short while later, it's like it never happened. The Bible teaches that one of the main sources of our discouragement One of the main sources of our disconnection, of our cynicism, of our fear, and our waywardness, and our anxiety, is the problem of forgetfulness. In our hearts and in our minds, we forget. There are many places in the Bible where this is talked about. One of the chief places where this theme is brought out is in the book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is talking to one generation. He's saying, there's about to be a big transition. You are about to move from here in the wilderness over there into the promised land. But before that transition is made, don't forget. Deuteronomy 4, he says, take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and they depart from your heart. Deuteronomy 6, after All I have taught you and shown you, God says, after all you've experienced in the wilderness as you come to the promised land with comfort and prosperity, be aware of the problem of forgetfulness, he says in verse 12, chapter 6, when the Lord brings you to the land filled with good things, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out. And then again in chapter 8, when you eat, when you are full and things are good, be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God. Another place where we see this theme that I've just discovered as we've been reading and praying through Psalm 119 in our Bible reading plan. We've been going slow, chunk by chunk. Psalm 119 is the longest of all the Psalms. It's a Psalm. It's like a a Psalm of praise to the Word of God where God Himself is, is praised for how He reveals Himself in His Word. One of the main themes in Psalm 119 is the theme of the problem of forgetfulness. Psalm 119 is about the need to meditate, read, listen to, remember Scripture because if we don't, we'll forget. A few examples. The psalmist says, I will meditate. I will remember God's word so that I won't forget it. Verse 16. And when I'm being pulled by the ropes, he says, of sin and evil and wickedness, when it feels like I'm being pulled down, he says, I will not forget. Verse 61. And in trial and in suffering and in weariness, when he says, I feel like a dried wineskin, that's the image he uses. I got nothing left. I do not forget. Verse 83, your statutes. In affliction, he says, I will never forget. Your word has given me life. When my life is in danger, yet I do not forget. Verse 109, when I feel insignificant and alone, like nobody is with me and understands. Verse 141, I do not forget. And the very last verse of the entire psalm, I wander like a lost sheep. Seek your servant 
for I do not forget your word and your commands. Here's what the Bible teaches us. We have spiritual amnesia. We all suffer from it. When things are good, we think, I'm good. And we tend to forget our need for God. And when things are bad, when there's adversity that comes, we tend to forget how God has shown us grace in the past, in past wilderness seasons. In the next chapter, Matthew 16, Jesus, he actually brings up both of these mass feedings with his disciples. They're moving on. They're going forward in ministry. They're worried, though, about bread. Again, in chapter 16, in verse 7, the disciples are freaking out. We didn't bring bread. What's going to happen? And Jesus says to them in verse 9 of chapter 16, do you remember the five loaves and the two fish? Do you remember the seven loaves? for the 4,000. And then he says, do you remember how many baskets were left over? They were focused, again, on not having enough bread. And Jesus points them to the purpose of this repeated miracle. Yes, Jesus was meeting a very real need. The people were hungry and he fed them, but there's more he's doing. He's doing a repeat. He wants his disciples to remember some very important lessons that would stay with them, that would become a part of their muscle memory. He's flipping over some tiles again so they would make the connections. He's showing them things about himself that he says, you will be tempted to forget these things. You will be drawn away. Time will pass, but don't forget You'll need to remember these things. The other side of the problem of forgetting is the power of remembering. Yes, forgetting is one of the causes, the Bible says, of our anxiety, our fear, our cynicism, and disappointment. But the flip side of that is the Bible says there is a, there is a power. There is a tool. There is something God has shown us that can overcome our forgetting, and that's remembering. One of the most powerful and important tools in our growth and change and transformation is remembering. It sounds simple, but it's powerful. Learning new information is important. Learning new practices is important. Having fresh experiences of God is important. But remembering, according to the Bible, is just as, if not more important than all of those. The word remember in the Bible is a strong verb. It means much more than just thinking about like mental recall. Yeah, that happened. It means to pay close attention, to bring what happened in the past and to bring it before you in the forefront of your mind into the present. But this passage is not just about the power of remembering in general. The repetition in this passage points to some very specific things we are meant to remember. These are in the sermon outline. We'll put these up for those of you online. But here is where I want to speak what I see in this text as the things that Jesus is saying 
Get these in your muscle memory. These are things you are so likely to forget. Put them in the forefront of your mind. Remember these things. And I think there'll be different people who need to hear different parts of this. There are four things. I'm going to cover three first. Here are some specific things. The repetition of these stories tells us we are meant to remember. First, Jesus works where we least expect him to. This is another lesson the disciples were given, that the grace of Jesus can provide in abundance even where it's least expected. This was in, as I said, in a Gentile territory. They didn't expect him to extend the messianic banquet, as it were, to the Gentiles, and yet he did. Again, he was in a desolate place, the wilderness. In the wilderness, outside of the covenant people of God, and there's a banquet. None of them would have expected that. There is no God-forsaken place or situation beyond the power of Jesus Christ. Remember this. That's what this passage is saying. Right now, some of you have written off Jesus. There's a situation in your life that seems hopeless to you, too far gone. Jesus is telling you, remember, I work where you least expect me to. A similar lesson, second, is this. Jesus will provide when it seems impossible to us. The disciples said in the first time, we only have five plus two. And this time they said, where are we going to get all this? We have seven loaves and a few small fish. This is impossible. This is not even in the realm of possibility. For some of you, what you need to do, what God is calling you to do, seems impossible. Seems out of the realm of possibility. So for these two stories, I want to encourage you with this, what you need to remember. Jesus will provide when it seems impossible to us. Jesus works where we least expect him to. Jesus will provide when it seems impossible to us. And a third lesson, there are probably many more, but these are the three that, that I saw here. Jesus takes what is not enough and turns it into more than enough. It's very humbling the way that Jesus does this here. In both stories, Jesus wanted clearly his disciples to see it and to feel their own inadequacy. Both times he wanted to realize that what he was asking them to do was beyond them, that their resources were not enough. They could not do it themselves. But both times, Jesus worked through their inadequate and meager resources when he could have done it all himself. In the feeding of the 5,000, says everyone ate and was satisfied in the feeding of the four. They all ate and were satisfied. Some of you struggle deeply with the feeling that you are not enough that you don't have enough to be and to do what God has called you to be and to do. And so maybe you've heard it before, but you need to hear it again. You need to remember it, that Jesus takes 
what is not enough. And he turns it into more than enough when it's offered to him and brought to him. In the planning of the rest of this series, as we were planning out um, the preaching text for this summer, as I was thinking about it this week, I have to confess that I was tempted to skip this story altogether. I said, we've already done the feeding of the 5,000. What can I possibly say about the 4,000? But the previous two weeks for me, after preaching the story of the feeding of the 5,000, all about this. Jesus takes what's not enough, our inadequacy, and turns it into more than enough. I was just struggling for two weeks, just with this sense of not enoughness, of my own inadequacy. For a lot of things, God has, I believe, called me to be and to do, not the least of which is to continue to pastor us through this pandemic and, and to come alongside of you all for encouragement. And that was just weighing on me. And as I started to realize what's going on in this passage, I realized, oh, I don't need to hear something new. I don't need a new story or a new text or a new insight. I just need to hear this again. Jesus takes what is not enough. He turns it into more than enough. You know, neuroscience, definitely not an expert in that field, but it, it gives us some insight into how all this works. When you don't access a memory, something happens in your life, but you don't think about it or access it, it doesn't get that neural pathway, they call it, right? To bring it to the forefront of your mind. For it to become real again, it's that, that road is not established in your mind. So if you don't build a road to that memory, it's kind of like it gets lost in the woods and it's in the dark recesses of your mind, you know, down a dirt path with all kinds of overgrowth. So if you want to get there, you have to do a lot of work. On the other hand, memories that, that are vivid to us, the things that we do remember, it's like a, a highway is built to those things in our mind and in our brains. So we can easily access those things. Now, I think it's more than just our brains. According to the scriptures, it's very holistic. It involves our hearts, our souls, and our minds. And the question I want you to consider is, what are the well-worn roads in my mind and heart and soul? What are the main highways on which my thinking and my heart travels? We will forget these things. Jesus works where we least expect him to. Jesus will provide when it seems impossible to us. Jesus takes what is not enough and turns it into more than enough. We will forget. Which is why God has given us means to establish these highways in our soul. Weekly worship, singing, preaching that reminds us of the gospel, Scripture establishes well-worn roads. It's not about novelty. It's not about creating new and exciting things, but remembering and creating well-worn roads and traveling them again and again and again. In the letter of Second Peter, probably the last thing the Apostle Peter wrote, he was there for this, right? He was there for the feeding of the 5,000, he was one of the disciples who forgot. What he, read, what he uh, wrote in his final letter there in Second Peter in chapter 1, he said, I'm going to turn there. Something very significant 
about how we grow, how God changes us, how transformation happens. He encourages the churches he's writing to there. He says this, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So a lot of character traits, we're all like, I want to be more of that. I want to have more of that in my life. He says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, the person who lacks these things, verse 9, 2 Peter 1, the person who lacks all these character qualities needs to try harder, do better, to beat themselves up and go, I should know by now. No, that is not what he says. The person who lacks that character, the heart of love, is someone who has forgotten, he says. You've forgotten. You're short-sighted and blind and forgotten. You're cleansing from past sins. And he says, so long as I'm alive, in verse 12, I will wake you up with a reminder. I will remind you. It is in the remembering of what has been done for us in Jesus. It is in the not forgetting. It is in establishing those well-worn highways over and over again that transformation happens. One more final thought. Last lesson is this. Even when we forget him, he will never forget us. The disciples had totally forgotten these things. They were in the same situation. And then right again after this incredible miracle is repeated for them, they're all worked up about not having bread. They've forgotten again. And Jesus didn't look at them and say, how could you? He didn't berate them. He didn't disown them. He reminded them again. In the Old Testament prophets... They talk a lot about the forgetfulness of the people. The people that God has shown so much, had done so much for, had shown so much grace. One example is in Jeremiah 2. It says, can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Can a bride show up to her wedding day without her wedding dress? Could that happen? Yet, my people have forgotten me days without number. And God's response to that comes in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15. Again, God uses examples from everyday life. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child or lack compassion for the child of her womb? Can a mother forget her own child? And God says, even if these forget, yet I will not forget you. Look, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. And in Jesus, we see those metaphorical hands of Isaiah have become literal hands, the literal hands of the Son of God. And Jesus said to Thomas, see my hands? Don't disbelieve. Believe. I will never forget you. And friends, even when we forget him, remember he will never forget us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're forgetful. 
we forget the things you've shown us. We forget the things you've done in our lives. We forget to tell those stories, remember those stories. We forget your word. We forget who you are. We forget who you tell us who we are. And so have mercy on us and help us remember today the things that we need to specifically remember from this story. I pray you would implant deeply in our hearts and our minds that you would encourage your people the very thing we need to remember that we have forgotten. I pray you'd bring it to the forefront of our minds and hearts and we would grab a hold of it by faith, remembering that you are unchanging and your love for us in Christ will never change. Help us remember, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, maybe here, guys, I'm going to try and transition back. We'll see if this works, um, just so I can have my hands for the celebration of communion. We'll see how this goes. Okay. Check, check. Ready? We'll give it a go. Um, we get to celebrate communion this morning. Friends who are at home, uh, I'm jealous for you. I wish you could be here to celebrate communion with us. And I ask you just to participate with us uh, through singing, through the liturgy, and through the remembrance uh, of communion, even though you can't be here with us physically. Um, why do we celebrate communion? Well, this passage is um, a great story for us. Both the feeding of the five and the feeding of the 4,000 give us insight into why Jesus has given us a meal like this. Especially here in the feeding of the 4,000, there are clear and unmistakable echoes, all scholars agree, of the Lord's Supper in this story. In verse 36 of chapter 14, it says, Jesus took the loaves and the fish, and he gave thanks, and he broke them and gave them to his disciples. Does that sound familiar? Well, in chapter 26, same gospel of Matthew, it says, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. We'll go back. We tried. He said, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The Apostle Paul was referencing this in 1 Corinthians 11. And he said, Jesus also said at that time, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Do it often. Celebrate this meal often. So why do we have the Lord's Supper? It's to remember. It's to remember. It's to establish those well-worn highways to the all-sufficient grace of Jesus for us. Uh, there's a story in this book, uh, Preaching as Reminding, uh, by Pastor Jeffrey Arthurs. He tells a story of a guy named, <clears throat> a guy named Jimmy. And this uh, Jimmy uh, was being cared for by a doctor. This doctor um, came in to see him and said, hello. And he said, oh, hey, doc. 
how are you? Uh, what are we here? What are we here for? Should I sit here? And the doctor realized uh, soon after speaking with him that he suffered from severe memory loss, total amnesia. So he would repeat the same words after two minutes of saying the same thing. He'd say, hey, doc, how are you doing? What are we here for? Should I sit right here? And that happened over and over again. And every time he was shown evidence of who he was, he was stuck back in his teens. And when he saw a picture of himself or he looked at himself in the mirror, he said, this can't be. He would freak out and go crazy. And the story is told by this doctor that for this man, Jimmy, when he attended a chapel service, the doctor was there with him and he was observing him. And he said, all of a sudden, the confusion just was gone from Jimmy's face. It was like he was there. He was present and everything was clear. And it was at the moment where he entered into the liturgy of communion and the Lord's Supper. It was like he remembered who he was in the taking of the bread and the drinking of the wine. It's a powerful story. For all I know, it's a true story. And it's it's a powerful illustration of why Jesus has given us this meal, to engage not only our hearing and our minds, but our hearts, our senses. We see, we touch, and we receive what we so easily forget, that Jesus has died for us, that Jesus is risen and will come again. We don't need something new. We need to establish a well-worn highway over and over again to that truth.